Hello and welcome to Midriff, the podcast about gender, music, and music gear. My name is Hillary Jones and I am your host. Uh, dear listener, friends, since we last spoke, I've received a ton of positive feedback from new listeners about the NAM episode and feeling really good about that. Super appreciate it. If you haven't done so yet, if you have a moment to subscribe, rate, or review Midriff, it would mean a super lot. And uh, most importantly, it would help others learn about the podcast. So thanks. Um, this episode features the one, the only Marissa Paternoster. If you are somehow unfamiliar with Marissa, she is the head shredder in charge. I just made that up but I'm going to call her that from now on. She's the shredding czar. I don't know. Uh, and singer in Screaming Females. And she has a rad solo project as well called Noun. Screaming Females have toured with, I think, like literally everyone on earth. I could give you a rundown. It would be ridiculous. Just in the last, in this conversation, I think we talked about Garbage, Thursday, Thou, Here's Collective, uh, among 8 trillion other bands. So they have a pretty aggressive tour schedule, and if they aren't, if you haven't seen them yet, and they aren't playing your town soon, they probably will be very soon. Um, so I, I had originally met Marissa through our good mutual friend Delia, kind of a while back. I want to say it was like 2011 or 2012. Um, they had both gone to school at Rutgers at the same time, and they remained friends, um, and so you know, we just kind of met each other that way. Um, and we've been lucky to play with Screaming Females a few times, and they've been super supportive of Riot, uh, Girls Rockford Island, and have played at camp a few times too, which is great. Uh, Marissa is <laughs> a real, like, humble shredder, super funny, uh, all around great to talk to. I think you're going to enjoy this episode. So without further hesitation, here's Marissa Paternoster. Welcome to Midriff. Uh, how's it going? It's going very well, thank you. Great. That is good news. Uh, can you introduce yourself, your name, your pronouns, a little bit about your background with music? My name is Marissa Paternoster. Um, I will answer to she or her or dude or buddy or bro. <laughs> I am uh, from New Jersey and I play in a band called Screaming Sisters. Cool. Uh, and you've been playing since you were... I've been playing guitar since I was 14. And today, on this day, I was, but well, I didn't turn 33 today, but I am 33 still currently. Cool. So thank you for that. So you're, you're kind of on like a little break right now, right? Yes. We're kind of in between records. 
it's winter time. We typically don't travel very much during the winter because it's hard to get people to patronize the rock shows during the holidays. And also it is quite cold and sometimes dangerous to drive. There's that. Typically we aren't out during the winter, although it has happened. Mm. It probably will happen in the future. It's a wild world. It really is. Mm. But soon winter will be gone. It's true. It's going to happen at any time. So like who knows what the future holds. Yeah, who needs winter? I mean, I feel like we should just end it. I mean, it's already happening. Let's just, let's, why pretend that it's still happening? It's not. What What are some things that you are psyched on working on right right now in your in your break? Um, well, we've been writing a new record that I've been enjoying, uh, demoing a lot of the songs that we've been writing. I'm excited about them. Um, so basically, we just have band practice every week, and then I'll make a like a crappy home recording and then kind of work out the vocals and the vocal melodies and maybe a couple of guitar overdubs, maybe like some keys or something like that. And then it kind of, we'll, we'll do that like for your, your, your accordion, your accordion solo, your uh... my accordion. Ah, I gave it to Jared's mom. She's really good at accordion. Really? Yeah. She's really good accordion player. Um, I had a nice accordion. That oh. thing, very hard to play. I don't know how people do the accordion. It's, it's wild. Literally insane. They, I think, accordion player players probably have brains that are as like unique and sophisticated as like a New York City cab driver. <laughs> this is true. I, they're, <laughs> they're they're related. I think that's true. Absolutely. And other than that, mostly just well working on that stuff. I've been recording some stuff under my solar solar. Solo project moniker, which is called Noun, N-O-U-N, um, with my friend Eric Bennett, who works out of a studio called Lake House in Asbury. And so we've been recording a couple of things. But uh, Angela Boylan, who now plays drums with Slater Kenny, played drums on a couple of the songs. So cool. kind of messing with that stuff. No, like, solid plans for it yet. Um, so kind of just, like, bumming around New Jersey, recording different stuff with different people. For future releases causing trouble no absolutely not <laughs> none no trouble following all laws absolutely <laughs> so while you're while you're on this break are you spending more time doing like your like illustration work too then or yeah i mean i i am lucky enough that people want to buy my drawings on occasion so sometimes to help me get by since right right now Streaming females is lucky enough to have our band be our living. We still don't obviously make it uh, much of a of a living wage. Uh, so we, we all have different ways of supplementing income so we can pay our rent and eat food and stuff like that. So sometimes I'll do a few commissions um, here and there and that will keep me a little bit busy. And then I have a couple of drawing products that I uh, can't really share yet, but hopefully we'll be able to soon. Their secret? A little bit, yeah. So secretive, you. <laughs> All right, so let's scoot. So let's scoot back. I want to talk about your very first experience with uh with gear. What was it? It was pretty awful. I like uh had uh, my mother had a friend who was getting me a birthday present, I believe, and I bought. I wanted a. It wasn't a Boss Metal Zone, but it was really close to a Boss Metal Zone. It was red, and it was called. It was like metal something. It was red. Was, boss. was that like was it like the DOD one or oh it was a boss one? Was okay. 
Okay. It was that. I wanted that. It sound, I remember it sounded like a chainsaw, which was actually pretty cool in retrospect, and I wish I still had it. But I I think I gave it to Girls Rock, one of the Brooklyn ones. I don't remember. Yeah. So there's someone enjoying it out there. And then I had one of those, like, um, uh, Digitech, like, multi-effects, like, or, like, horrible, like, there are some, a million options, and then they're, like, the two little flip switches. Yeah, yeah, and you have to, like, scoot between them and somehow try to figure out how to get to the two sounds that you yeah, want. <laughs> but also, you have to hit them at the same time to, like, turn, I don't remember, to, like, go through the menu or something. Yeah. That thing, I thought it was, like, the coolest thing on the face of the planet. Um, when you're when you're like fourteen or whatever, it is the coolest thing on the face of the planet. Yeah, and honestly, if I had it now, it probably still would be the coolest thing on the face of the planet. But it was really, really hard to use. Yeah. So those were my first pedals, and then then I just bought like a. I think I wound up getting a big muff at some point, which were probably probably a cheaper pedal than both of the other ones and sounded a lot better. But up until up until I got the big muff, I just had those two really like horrific. No no need for anything after that. Yeah. Well for a while, yeah. Yeah. I was totally obsessed with Big Muffs for a while. I was like only I was like if every every time I would see an old Big Muff, I would just buy one. Right. Uh because they were so cheap. Like I remember being in Seattle and buying one at some store there for like thirty bucks or something, like a green Big Muff. Oh, and I remember buying them for like less than fifty dollars. Yeah. It was wild. And then I and then I was on my way back. And this is like right after 2001 and uh, totally got stopped um, while I was trying to get on an airplane because they thought I, it was a bomb. Yeah. Um, so there you go. Well, it, you know, not, you know, a cab, but it does look like a bomb. Yeah. No, I know. <laughs> I mean, in particular, <laughs> I mean, a lot of pedals look like maybe suspicious, but I feel like a big muff in particular. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so then I know you talk about this all the time, so you don't have to go in super detail, but, like, what's your current setup for for folks who might not know? I used to have a lot of, like, modulation effects when Screaming Females first started playing, and then I would just use, like, the built-in gain on my, uh, like, little combo amp, which I thought sounded fine. After about, like, the first decade of Screaming Females, maybe a little bit less, I got rid of almost all of those modulation effects because... I just never used them. They were there and they were fun to play with once in a while live. But for the most part, I realized I just wasn't using them. And every single time I'd have to like troubleshoot my board if something went wrong during a set, it was just like a complete nightmare because there was so much crap. So now I just have like a bunch of different game stages. So it's just like something that has a, a little overdrive and then like a little more overdrive and then like a boost pedal at the end of it. And then I just have like a delay. Mm-hmm. Once in a while, I'll like, I'll, I have like an empty space for like like maybe a wah or a phaser or something like that and I usually swap in between like a wah like a I have like one of those little mini wahs I don't even know who makes it um, and then I just that, that, is that a Dunlop maybe yeah that sounds about right and then I have the um, just an MXR phaser mm-hmm. so I, I think I used to really be more fond of like more complicated pedals that had like a shit ton of options and uh as the more we played shows and the longer we've been a band i realized that i like having like uh limitations like limit limitation specs on pedals because having too many options makes my brain feel like kind of paralyzed mm-hmm. and so yeah so some 
I've, I've kind of just pared all that stuff down. I still have it all and I use it for recording, but live it's just like too much. Too much. Yeah. yeah. I feel like sometimes what can happen when you have too many pedals, like for me at least, like I spend more time figuring out what to do with the pedals than actually thinking about what I'm playing. Yeah. Or like the song, which is really what's the most important. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I love, I, I really like pedals. Um, um, I, you know, I really like hearing different like overdrives and buzz pedals and stuff like that. And I, I really rely on my delay pedal very heavily, but other than that, I really do. Is that, do you have the, is it the DD3? Which six. six, okay. Yeah. Um, that's the one, I just use this one function on it, where it's called the warp function, where you can just hold it down and the uh, signal will just re, like replay indefinitely until you let it go. So it's kind of like a cool mixture in between a delay and what sustain obviously does. Mm. Except it's like a lot wilder and a lot more like aggressive than just mm -hmm. the main pedal. Um, and then you can also kind of like sweep through the modulation if you like turn the time knob really quick. And that's always cool because it's like a little spacey, wiggly sound. <laughs> and that's what, that thrills everyone. Yes, everyone likes the psychedelic uh, space sound. Uh, what then, I want to check in sort of around your thoughts or experiences around like gender and ide like identity is generally related to mu your experiences with music gear. Um, well, you know, I, I grew up listening to like Slater Kinney and Bikini Kill and Huggy Bear and Bratmobile. And those bands hadn't really, with the exception of Slater Kinney, I guess, those bands haven't really been playing within my young, you know, they were playing when I was young, but I was literally too young in single digits. So like I was <laughs> kind of the country as well. So I didn't get to like go to any of those shows or have any of those experiences. So I thought that stuff was long gone. And that there was no more space for like young women who wanted to make punk music. I was obviously mistaken. There were those places. I just didn't know where they were, and I had to find them. So um, I w I was very obsessed with finding like a some semblance of a punk community that would mirror what I was really obsessed with in like Olympia and Portland and stuff like that. And then obviously, well, maybe not so obviously, I did not find that community in Elizabeth, New Jersey, but I did actually manage to find something that was akin to it in New Brunswick when I went to Rutgers. It, it, they, uh, the, the punks and Rutgers that we hung out with, you know, weren't as like hyper-focused on like, I guess, radical feminism as, you know, like Bikini Kill era punks were. But I think the community was like so small and close-knit that it just wasn't really like a conversation that we were having because there were only like 40 to 50 people who were putting on shows. Mm -hmm. The top priority was just like put on shows. 40 or 50 people attending shows, you mean? 40 or 50 people attending shows and also like throwing shows. I was like, if you have 40 or 50 people putting on shows, that's like a lot, actually. Well, you know, it would, it's a rotating cast, but okay. at any given show. It was just um, what I'm trying to say is like in a school that has like thousands and thousands of people, there were a, there were a very small portion of those people who are actively going to shows or are promoting shows, and so uh, it, it was really difficult to have shows in New Brunswick because there's nothing about Rutgers University that uh, functions as like a they don't they they basically just don't want art to happen. It seems like there there's no like who needs it. 
Yeah, there's like no cultural or arts institutions. When there are, they become like systematically destroyed by whatever, like football or like Greek life and stuff like that. And so that's where the university's priorities lie. And so, uh, which is truly a shame since it is an academic institution. But so people make do on their own and it, it's it's very difficult. The cops, you know, don't want it going on for Lord knows what reason. Um, and so everyone that we hung out with who was throwing shows were more focused on just making sure the show happened. And there was a decent amount of, of, of female identified people coming to shows and playing the shows. And I don't think I ever really felt super isolated up until we started going on tour and, and people started conducting interviews and asking me what it was like to be a woman performing. And it wasn't until then where I was like, oh, maybe I am like an anomaly. And then started thinking about how I often was the only woman in the room. Even so, I think that because I'm lucky enough to be a member of the band that I am in, I'm often surrounded by other people who are like female identified musicians. And I, I, it's very, it it does happen, but it's very rare that I find myself playing a screaming female show where I'm the only woman Mm -hmm. on the bill. So, and I think that's, it's a confluence of a lot of things, the nature of our band, the nature of the people who come to see us and the fact that hopefully it's all changing slowly, but surely, but I don't really know because that's just my experience. Yeah. I mean, we all have our own experiences, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but like, yeah, it sounds like you have, it, it's, yeah, it's, if you're surrounding yourself with people who are, are cool and not terrible, then you don't have to worry about that to the same degree that other folks might be thinking about it or something. Yeah. And then if something like, ter- you know, if someone says something kind of shitty or ignorant or rude to me, usually I'll have people on my side who would call them out or back me up if I have to do the same. But so it's very rare for me to encounter like anyone who uh really ruffles my feathers in that regard. Mm-hmm. Although it has happened. <laughs> have you noticed anything like specifically with regard to gear space? Like when you're talking about gear or people are like you're you're looking at gear or any of that, does that ever come up? I just ask me about my pedals all the time. Yeah. I just I am flattered that they're curious about it. There's really nothing interesting on my pedal board, but uh, I they I, often people took pictures of it, which is great. I hope that um, it's helpful in some way. But there's, <laughs> there's really nothing on it that you can't get. You know your local shop, guitar center. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think there's only been a couple couple instances where usually sound men will be like will ask me like why I don't use the internal power on my board and all kinds of like really banal questions that I'm actually amazed that they even care enough to ask. Mm-hmm. But more power. Do they do they care enough to ask, or are they just asking to show that they know something? I don't. I don't. I <laughs> don't know. I have no idea. I'm always just like I don't use the power on the board because it's broken. <laughs> that's a that's a good reason not to use the power on the board. Case, so I kept the case. Like I don't know what I'm gonna tell you, but yeah, once in a while, they need to know. Yeah, maybe they do. They just they just need to know. <laughs> they, yeah, they just are spending like the entire week up thinking about it, concerned concerned for your pedals' well being, and crying. Yeah. Uh, so 
so you so it sounds like you've had like some pretty positive experiences around that, which is awesome. How about with regard to like social media? Does any have you noticed anything like that? Because you're obviously dealing with a lot of different um, experiences with social media. And I know I think you manage a lot of that. Do you, does that ever come up as an issue for you or not? No, I mean, we like I never use I really don't ever use our Twitter. And when I do use it, it's usually just to remind people that we're going to be in a certain city at a certain time. I think we're pretty pragmatic in using these like social platforms in a very utilitarian way where it's just like, here are the things that are happening with us. If you want to come participate in it, you're more than welcome. But beyond that, I just feel like I know that I don't want to open up a can of worms where like I'm introducing this like absolutely huge audience to like my personal life or Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Not that there's anything particularly interesting going on over here on my end, but um, I can I can imagine how like the littlest thing can like snowball. And so, yeah, I mean, in terms of band stuff, we just kind of use it to be like, hey, this is when the gig is or this is when a record is coming out. If you're interested in those things, that's great. If you're not, that's okay too. (laughs) Would you like some information? We have information. Precisely. So, uh, you know, I think. In a lot of ways, social media is is a wonderful way for people who might need help or or company or confide their their struggle in people. It it offers them a platform to do that. And then in a lot of ways, I think it could be, I guess, detrimental to to your relationships, et cetera, et cetera. But it's not not like a black and white kind of issue. It's it's very nuanced and people are incredibly complex. So when you uh, connect them all, with just like the tap of a button, I'm sure it opens up an entire kind of system of, of possibilities that like thinking about makes my head hurt. So I just kind of try and step away from it as much as I can without completely removing myself from the conversation. Right. What? Uh, so you all recently went on or you, you played a show with Team Dresh, right? Yes. Yes. How was that? It was good. Um, the show was very fun. Jess Arc played and I hadn't seen mm-hmm. it very long time and then after the show we sat backstage with team dress and we looked at pictures of each other's dogs and then um i thought we talked about our footwear for a while there was some really nice comfortable sensible footwear happening after the show so we discussed that because you know like our support's important and just like kind of like some some cool middle-aged rocker talk <laughs> we were all just like ah Everything kind of hurts. Like, what are you doing with your feet? Uh huh. What's going on in there? So we did mm-hmm. a little bit of that, and then I went to bed at a, a sensible hour. So it was a pretty wild night. That's uh, that makes me very happy. Yeah, it was good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Do you use the Doctor Scholes or is it? Uh... No, I think that some some people might have had customs. I don't remember. Oh, wow! Some fancy stuff. Kicking it up a notch. Oh yeah, for sure. Not messing around with it uh, <laughs> with feet. Uh, so I, this is something that I, I find funny and I didn't really think about it until I was like sitting down to think about questions for this. And I was like, I feel like, I feel like Marissa is one of the only people I know that like grew up listening to both Bikini Kill and Pantera. (laughs) 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 Yes. Uh, do you feel, what, how, how did those two, uh, seemingly disparate, uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> I know. I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, bands uh, potentially, or like I guess musical spaces. How do how do they influence how you play? Would you say? Um. Well, unfortunately, or or your or your just your life in general, your spirit. <laughs> I think that Bikini Hill speaks a lot more to my spirit, and obviously, hopefully, obviously. The way my moral compass operates. <laughs> Why? Why? Why would you say that? I I didn't know that much about Pantera when I first started listening to them, and the more I found out, the more and more horrified I became. But uh, I I I try to listen to and enjoy their music without in any way contributing to that kind of what would you call it? Without contributing to like. <laughs> A guy who's a white supremacist. I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah, I have no interest in uh, yeah, hanging out with that brand of human. Um, but I do like some of the records. I'm not gonna lie; they have some pretty cool, heavy riffs, and I I like good riffs. So I think that's what it real really boils down to is that it's a pretty sweet riff, and I have no idea what he's saying, which is helpful. Mm-hmm. I did I probably would have a way harder time listening to it it's funny because I don't even think I don't think that their lyrics I'm not I'm not a completist by any means I only know like three records that were out when I was in high school that all of my like metal friends listened to but like I don't think they're overtly no I don't think so either the ones that I've read are all just like I'm gonna kick your ass yeah that's that's pretty much the sentiment (laughs) you know and I guess Maybe it made me feel t- a little bit tougher when I was listening to it or something like that. <laughs> I have no that's, idea. <laughs> that's the, that's the, actually the whole point is like for you to feel like you're going to like crush someone's skull in uh, at any moment. Which also, you know, isn't so different from the way Bikini Kill made me feel when I was 14. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I just, uh, I like guitar based music and uh, Dimebag was a fantastic guitar player. And it's obviously a shame that their legacy as a cool rock band is so mired in a bunch of hateful, ignorant bullshit. Yeah, I it's I feel like at one point I had a better understanding of like what that exactly is. But I at this point, I don't remember even what the actual issue was other than me. I don't know whether how much they are actually white supremacists or if it's just the people that listen to them or how that relationship works. Exactly. Oh really? Oh damn. I mean, okay. He says he's not, but or, all the things he says it does. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, if you put two and two together. <laughs> if you want to do a Nazi math equation, yeah, there you Nazi, go. On paper, he's if the equations is equal to white supremacist. So. Oh, that's sh- that's that sucks. Bummer. Yeah, I mean, not that I'm at all surprised, but yeah, there you go. But anyway, uh, Silver Display of Power is still a really cool record. <laughs> Enjoy it. <laughs> yes uh yeah i just feel like it's a funny it's like i don't know it's i felt funny listening to the two of them growing up and i at the time i don't even know if i could have like like articulated exactly why because i didn't know how problematic they were but uh but yeah i don't know i was only exposed to it through my friends and i was just like yeah yeah i was like oh this is an interesting thing That's, and, and it makes you feel like yeah you want to crush something so there you go it was a good feeling yeah. And sometimes now. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> uh, okay. So I know you said like I don't know how much gear buying you're even doing. It seems like you're pretty set with what you're doing right now. I I, don't, I really don't buy gear so much anymore. I've been lucky to like uh, receive gear as gifts 
least yeah. heavy-ish. And that's always really fun. But unless I actually need something specific, because I I am really lucky to have as much cool stuff as I do, I kind of, and I, you know, I also am not like rolling in it. So <laughs> I don't really purchase that much stuff. But I also have access to it where the studio I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. If I ever want to just try something out or if I need to borrow something for a certain project, usually I can find access to it. Or, or since I'm friends with a lot of people who also play, I usually have access to, to that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. I'm very lucky in that regard. Nice. So you, do you you wouldn't say, have you had any like particularly good or particularly bad like gear ac- acquisition experiences? After Mike got a bigger amp, I was still playing out of this like, using Kettner combo that was like 40 watts which was like totally fine for the kind of shows we were playing obviously we were playing for over 100 people on any given night we're usually playing house shows so it was perfect and then Mike got a large ramp and I was like I guess I gotta get one too so I wound up getting this solid state custom hustler and custom is like that brand of amp that has like the really cool like upholstery on it mm-hmm. and I remember like I was like don't buy it just because you think the upholstery looks cool because that's the, the wrong reason to buy an amp but I bought it from this really weird shop uh on route 18 in New Brunswick called Highway Music which anyone who's from like the New Jersey area and plays it knows about Highway Music it's like been there forever it's a weird storefront inside it's just like a pile of crap and you just kind of like rifle through it until you find something. And they had the the custom hustler. I thought it sounded really good at the time. And then touring with it was like an absolute nightmare because the speaker cable wasn't accessible without a screwdriver. So you had to like take the panel off to get the speaker cable. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but sometimes if you're playing and you're you have the amp turned up quite loud, the speaker cable sometimes wiggles out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was just like, what the hell is going on with this amp? I had no idea that the speaker cable just wiggled out a little bit and the signal was just like kind of slowly fading away over the course of a set or just completely dying. Oh, God. And I just, I like, I had like four or five different, like basically like, just like I give up moments at at shows because I had no idea what was going on. Um, It also was incredibly heavy and fell over a lot. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the casters were like really shitty and I didn't have enough money to put it in like a, a road case or anything like that so that thing was a total nightmare um I we only did that one tour with it and then I wound up finding uh the sun concert lead that I have which I like very much and has actually never given me a problem is that a, is that a 12 in there or, or 15 or something what is it to 212 212 okay yeah but the speakers are it's just so wide yeah the speakers are assessed in the cabinet so they're like they're like seven inches back away from the grill and then they're kind of uh like at a concave angle right Um, i'm sure it was made to like project the sound further which is not something that you necessarily really need to do because it's an incredibly loud amp i can't imagine in what space they were like make it louder um (laughs) was that originally a bass amp no no, oh, okay. Hmm. Like that. Um, I there's been a couple of people who've been like, "Oh, Sun just made like some wacky stuff in the '70s." Yeah, cool. And I think that's basically what it was. Probably just like, doesn't this look neat? Makes sound <laughs> a little bit louder and sound like just farther or whatever like that. And it does look neat. Um, and it, it sounds great. I love it a lot. I've never, I've never had an issue with it. 
Nice. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, it is like a very unique camp. I've never seen that exact situation before anywhere. Nice job. A plus. Um, so are there any like particular year things that you've learned that you're really like proud of? You're like, I was really working on this thing and I finally figured it out. Now I know how to do it and I feel good about it. Nothing in particular comes to mind. I'm I'm proud, I guess, of kind of getting rid of a lot of the like extra doodads that I had floating around on my board and uh, I I do tend to like overindulge in effects and adding and like even when demoing things like kind of ne- never knowing when to stop mm-hmm. like putting in overdubs and it's all like kind of superfluous nonsense that really doesn't like serve the song well. So I think over time, even as like a song songwriter, um, I'm proud of myself for exercising some semblance of self control with those things and. And being more like open and to listening to what other people think about songs and not being so precious about like my contribution to things. Is that is that something that you feel like you've had to like work on over a period of time? Like and that's that there's been a change with regard to that? Yeah, I mean I think like, you know, sometimes you, you if you like spend a lot of time with a song or you're you're demoing a lot and maybe like you key in a really cool sound with one of your pedals and you really want this this like melodic passage or overdub to happen in the song you become very attached to it and then say your bandmate comes in and they're like what's up with that I don't really think it fits Uh, certainly in the past there have been times where I'm like it absolutely fits what are you talking about because when you reflect on it you're like oh I spent an entire day making this like this creating this overdub of the sound that I'm really proud of but if like all of your peers or the people who are making music with you disagree with you. There is no wrong or right, but it might become clear that like, it's not serving the song in any kind of way that does anybody any favors. And so certainly in the past, I've had trouble separating myself from things like that. Yeah. And now I'm just like, Oh, well, nice try. <laughs> in the future. There'll be another song. It'll be, yeah, fine. there'll be another song. And it it's a lot when 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 you're able to kind of like let go of stuff like that, it actually feels a lot better than defending mm-hmm. something that's not working. Right. Having to fight for it yeah. in a way that feels like not not useful, yeah. maybe. And then even yeah. if you if you like quote unquote win, you still don't really win because everyone else is unhappy with your contribution and it probably isn't doing the song any favors. <laughs> <laughs> uh is there anything, I guess, related to that that you've you want you want to know more about like is there some like something gear related you're like I always wish I knew about this thing or how to do this thing that you haven't learned yet I guess I I, I like am interested in gear now in a, in a way more utilitarian sense and maybe not even now I think because hearing female scores so much I've always looked for things that don't break and can travel really well and can play a lot of shows so that's a big reason why I probably stopped using stuff like some of the older big muffs or, or the cheaper big muffs and stuff because they just like constantly broke. Why well, I didn't continue using the custom is because it constantly broke. So when I find something that can really endure uh, our travel schedule, that's when I'm like really into it in terms mm-hmm. of gear. So even when I was talking to you about like the SPB case that I have for my pedals, I don't use any of the power on it. I actually cut the power cable off of it because I don't use it 
Mm-hmm. But I just use the case because it's really tough and doesn't break. Yeah, I wish it was a little bit more exciting, but I, I just really look, I think we all just really look for stuff that like sounds good and can get the job done and can like get to the next show and not cause us like a hassle. Marissa Paternoster, an eye for quality. <laughs> Endurance and quality. <laughs> I'm wondering, because you play with like a lot of different types of bands, I feel like you, more so than maybe most other bands that I know, like you're just constantly playing with like wildly different types of bands and genres. What your experience is playing different with, with wildly different types of bands, if you have had particular thoughts on that? Or if like one is, if like you find that there's certain types of shows that fit better or not, or if it doesn't matter. Um, it seems to not really matter that much. I mean, I guess a lot of it, has to do with the way we we as a as a band all like celebrate all sorts of different genres of music and listen to different genres of music and emulate different genres of music when we write songs um you know our greatest our greatest collective influence is definitely our peers and the bands that we travel with and get to know and become like our good friends um but i think even the actual like numbers of a tour reflect the fact that people just want to go to a bill that has good bands and sometimes it really doesn't matter what sort of music it is um and in best case scenario they leave learning about like maybe a genre of music that they would have never thought to have tried out before and really like it or so you know we did a we did a three-week tour with a band called tears from philadelphia which is like grindcore or whatever you want to call it um, I'm not really good at like uh, honing in the subsidiary genres of, of metal or heavy music, so forgive me if I'm wrong. Uh, and then, I, I'm I'm just silently judging you. Right. <laughs> and then this Vandal from Baton Rouge that kind of does like doomy sort of dirgy metal. Mm-hmm. Um, and all those shows were great. Yeah. Most of them were like sold out, and the crowd seemed like they were all having a very nice time, and so. That's all we can really hope for. <laughs> that's, that's the goal. That's all we want here, right? Let's just have a nice time, everybody, okay? Let's to, like, have a, have a nice evening uh, playing rock music with your friends. And, uh, yeah, maybe it has something to do with the, pe- the way people listen to music now. It's a lot easier to kind of, like, navigate through different genres and, see, you know, sample what you like. It's a lot easier than it used to be. I really don't know, but... Uh, it's always been the way also like coming from New Brunswick there weren't that many bands playing so you know whoever was down you play with you play with bands the bands that are there (laughs) yeah Yeah. were there any like have you had any situations like that where you're like this really isn't working or or like you like like this situation sounds like you're like pleasantly surprised that or or like maybe not even pleasantly surprised you're just like it's probably going to be fine like in terms of uh, yeah 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 I, there's no like we've always toured with friend, like friends so there are bands that somehow were like a uh, part of our like weird little like microcosm so there was like either they're on maybe Don Giovanni which is our label or like some label that like Salinas Records or like Stupid Bad Records, like all these different labels that kind of like are run by friends or are, are somehow part of our, our community. So I can't, there's never really been an instance where we've gotten thrown onto a tour where 
um, or, or we've we've uh, started a tour where we didn't already know the people we were going on tour with. Certainly, we've opened for other bands that aren't famous people. Sorry, that we didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I'm less. It's less about to me. I'm wondering less about the the people than about the audience. I guess. No, I never had a problem. It, I, I when we went on tour with a band called Thursday from New Brunswick. And oh yeah, I think I saw you on that. Yeah, I remember yeah. that fans didn't like us at all. And mm. I'm not saying everyone, I'm just saying. I think that's why I'm thinking about it, because I remember having a conversation with you afterwards yeah. about it. <laughs> I'm not saying everyone didn't like it, I'm just saying when I looked at our Twitter after the show, there were a couple people who felt very passionately about the fact that they felt we sucked, which is fine. You were totally allowed to feel that way. So that I remember. That well, I mean, now you, since you were listening to Pantera, you're able to effectively crush them. So it's fine. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I'm not that kind of guy. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> no crushing. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. It's totally fine. I'm not going to lose sleep over it. But uh, yeah, that was the only tour probably ever where I was just like, damn, these people really, really hate what we're doing. <laughs> Which is so, I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> I, I love Thursday as as a young, you know, whatever teen in New Jersey. Like that, it was hard to escape. I went to many, many Thursday shows, and I I loved them a lot. Um, you can't win them all. You can't. You really can't. I'm wondering if you have any like. So I was recently at Nam. Are you familiar with Nam? I yeah. I forget that it exists every year, and then I'm reminded that it exists. Yes. There you go. Uh, so one of the questions I had was for, for some folks that I was talking to was just around like, like how people can do better in the music gear industry around like gender and diversity. Like, so if you were talking to somebody who like runs a company or a store or something, what would you tell them? I guess I would just say you don't have to gender inanimate objects because <laughs> like whatever, whatever like piece of gear is popular is almost nearly never a reflection of the genitalia of whomever is playing with it. Uh, it. It really, I don't get the whole like branding utilitarian, like gear for for him and her. It just doesn't mm-hmm. really make sense to me. Like, like, like it's like the big pen kind of thing, like a pink yeah, big, big pen like for makes, women. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. It's a waste of everyone's time and resources. It pisses a lot of people off. So just don't do it. Silly. It's like actually a silly, huge time sink, and it's it's foolish. And then we can get into all the reasons why it's ignorant. But I probably don't need to do that on your podcast. <laughs> so yeah, that, I mean, that's what would be my advice: is just like you try and make quality stuff that is accessible. I I would be more concerned with like pricing and making things accessible to musicians of all different, you know, uh, with different like career trajectories and and budgets and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, that would that would probably be my MO. I think that's good. Yeah, I saw the power su- the the Thelma and the sleeves mm-hmm. power supply. <laughs> <laughs> like, why did they even do that? Power <laughs> supply. Uh- <laughs> it makes no sense. It's just dumb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't. I yeah. I I don't understand. <laughs> 
I don't understand. I mean, I feel like they're like in some cases, like where there's situations where you're like, okay, someone might have physically smaller hands or something or is, I don't know, like there might be some physical difference. But even then, there are some people who are like you you get used to whatever the physical difference is. And it, there's some people who have giant hands and they're playing a guitar and it might feel weird for that reason. You know, like it's hard to say. You know, unless like it's uh, if, if the, uh, the player is like differently able to need something that's like modeled to spec so that they can like play the instrument comfortably. That's a totally different conversation. Totally. But making just like a regular power supply that inexplicably <laughs> is branded towards people who also have a vagina right. really doesn't make any sense because the two things have nothing to do with each other. Um, so it's befuddling. I don't get it. And, um, you know, a lot of people, the people who are angry about it have every right to be. It's 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 deeply offensive to um yeah to everyone's intelligence <laughs> <laughs> it's fine everything's gonna be fine don't yeah. worry about it uh so i guess um i'm getting kind of towards the end of questions i'm trying to think of like is there something that i should be asking you that i haven't already asked you i don't i don't know i, I don't i don't i'm not very knowledgeable about here it's not even about knowledgeable. It's more just like what what's your experience been? I want like... to tell you, as a rocker in my early 30s, I know I am not, maybe not middle-aged by some people's standards yet, but I experienced that I, this is a piece of gear that I love very much. I started having back problems. And I was like, holy cow, holding my guitar hurts very badly. And then Steve Albini, and I'm not name-dropping, but... I asked him about his strap. <laughs> I was just talking to S Dog and we were having a conversation. I was talking to Steve O and I asked him about his strap and he sent me a link to this a company called Slinger Straps who make hip straps that are uh, will let you wear your guitar very similar to the way that Steve and his, and his bandmates infamously wear their guitars in big black. They just take their straps and shellac. They just take their straps and wrap them twice around their waist and and wear them but these are made so that you can kind of like clip it on and uh this man named tom runs the company and he's been nice enough to send me straps on tour and he's sent straps to people who uh, have asked me about them he's a very gracious man and um it actually helped with the pain associated with wearing a guitar big time which never ever in my wildest dreams thought would happen because it's not even a very heavy guitar but it happened <laughs> uh, wearing it around my waist actually reduces the pain like completely. That's awesome. It's a little a weird at first to like get used to. Yeah, do your rock moves anymore? You have to come up with new rock moves. The whole whole other world of rock moves. Yeah, I had to really like open up my repertoire. How do you? Di- I don't. Even, how does it connect to the guitar? Like I'm trying to think of how you actually. So you like it... you just like wear like a belt basically. Okay. But- you move the peg from the top corner of your guitar to the bottom. Mm. And it just kind of sits at a perfect line right across your, like, tummy, essentially. Oh. Yeah. Cute. <laughs> it is more, <laughs> uh, cool. Uh, all right. So who else Who else do you think I should interview? Are you only doing, like, a, like string instrument stuff? Nope. Or? Nope. So, uh, any, anybody. Who's a cis woman, trans, uh, non-binary? I could put 
you in touch with a bunch of people. I mean, the what comes to mind immediately just because I just saw her is Angie Boylan, who plays drums in Slater Kinney. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was in, she was in Inico. If you mm-hmm. them. She was in a band called Cheeky a really long time ago, which is when I met her. Um, she was in a band called Little Ones. She plays drums in a couple bands now, like uh, Freezing Cold and Lost Balloons. And she's just like an absolutely incredible drummer. And so, yeah, recently got uh, a gig playing for Slater Kinney and is a, is a great musician who's been playing shows for her entire life, mm-hmm. her entire adult life, who is a delight to talk to. Yeah, I think she was involved with one of the Girls Rock camps. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Does, have you seen her play on the on the current tour? Yeah, I went and saw her play in Portland. Um, they did like a seven week long tour, which, you know, up until last Slater Kinney tour, Angie had mostly just played punk shows in and around New York. And obviously she had been on a bunch of tours, but had, hadn't been going on long ones for quite a while. So mm-hmm. I think it was a huge step and change in her life to go from playing for like, you know, 100 people to like 4,000 people. Right. As as her dear friend, I'm very proud of her for doing, doing the damn thing because I'm sure it was very... <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's super stressful. And then having to deal with all the like commentary around that. But yeah, yeah, yeah sure. And she loves playing drums and she's a phenomenal player. She did a great job. Yay. Good job. All right. So so let's close this up. How can listeners stay in contact with you or hear more from you? Um, the easiest way to get in touch with Screaming Females if you have a, a question or a comment that you cannot find the answer to yourself is to just email us, females at gmail.com. Garrett, who plays the drums, answers all of our email. Um, you uh, you can send us, you know, messages on any social media platform, but the likelihood of us actually seeing it or ever answering it is very low because there are too many different ways to message people. <laughs> it's not right. <laughs> uh, well, I mean... How do people keep track of it? I don't understand. Yeah, I'm sure it'll taper down at some point. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're very accessible to speak to you directly. And then our, you know, if you need to know about shows, if you literally just put in screamingfemales.com, there is a tab. It says shows. It has ticket links and tour dates and nothing else. So it's not confusing. <laughs> um, but we'll be going on tour in about a month with a band called Puck from Canada. And we'll be opening for them. And then, you know, hopefully we'll start sussing out some like summer plans, fall plans pretty soon. Nice. Cool. Thanks so much for talking to me. This has been rad. That was fun. Uh, Lots of good stuff from Marissa, as always. And uh, once again, if you've never seen Screaming Females live, they play constantly. Um, please, please go see them. Uh, if you also, if you want to cry, there's a video on YouTube, YouTube somewhere. And this is from a number of years ago, but it's from when they were on tour with garbage where they're getting ready to play their, uh, combined cover of because the night by Patti Smith and Shirley Manson just goes on this like long diatribe about how awesome and inspiring Marissa is. Um, and I am not a crier, but that one really gets me, uh, definitely check that out. And also if you want to support Marissa's visual artwork, she has a Kickstarter for a graphic novel that she illustrated written by Joe Steinhardt, who's the owner of John, Don Giovanni records. So check that out. And I'll add the link in the show notes as well. 
Um, you can also check out the show notes for other mentions from the episode, including bands, gear, uh, of course, links to find Screaming Females or to subscribe or check out Midriff on social media and for crucial pictures of my dog. That's important. Um, and I also wanted to give I don't know if all if you all noticed this or happened across this this week, but I wanted to give a serious shout out to She Shreds magazine, which if you're a listener to this podcast, you have likely heard before. But last week they announced that they were transitioning from a magazine to She Shreds Media um, and there will be one more issue that you can grab if you're interested. Uh, regardless, the work they have done so far has been super important uh, to the gear world, and I am psyched to see what they're up to next. I, I don't know what it is, but I'm excited to find out. So this week's listener question is, we're hiring at my job. How do I help encourage cis women, trans folks, and folks of color apply? This is the, the the response to this could go on for a very, very long time. So here I just wanted to give five quick tips for someone who might be, uh, you know, wanting to expand their, you know, their reach a little bit. So the first thing to consider is, do you traditionally list your salary in your job openings? Um, if not, please, please just do it. Just do it. There's no reason not to. Um People will feel better if they know what they're getting into. They're going to either feel like, okay, this makes sense for me, or no, this is a waste of time, or like, oh, crap, now I have to figure out how to like negotiate my salary, and I've never been taught how to do that because I'm not a cis white man. Um, and so just list your salary. Two, where do you post for your jobs? Can you move like outside, beyond, Indeed, Glassdoor, those kind of traditional sites uh, is there someone that you know who might have reached into, you know, um, another demographic that you would like to reach? Just, you know, try and think outside of the box a little bit as far as like where you're going to list it. And obviously, you know, you're going to end up getting a ton of applications from folks that maybe are not quite who you're thinking of anyway. And I'll get into that in a second. So um, so so leading into that three, are you hiring for skills or for potential? So. Research shows that men are hired for potential and women are hired based on their performance or the skills that they already have. So the lived experience of someone whose background and perspective is different from the rest of your group can be crucial. Um, it's huge. It's so huge. But it is something that cannot be taught. You you know what can be taught. It's <laughs> pretty much everything else on your job listing. So Thinking about how to like kind of flip the way that you're thinking about hiring, like not just does someone tick off everything on my art list, but what else can this person add to to the conversation that that maybe someone else can't, even though like on paper they look better. Um, four, inclusive language about or include language about the ways that you create a positive work environment. So there's so many ways that you can do this and I could go on and on and on about that. But think about like, are you offering flex time? Do what are your benefits? Right? So like, are, are, are they you helping people are helpful? Grow, <laughs> are they um, terrible? Do you have them in your family in your, at your work? What do you um, and ways that are supportive of people who might, you know, need some flexibility, um, maybe because their parents or something like that. Just some things to consider. And five, uh, have your have your, have supports in place when the person is hired. So if you want your new hire to stay, you need to be thoughtful 
about how to make that happen and what supports an environment you can provide. So because otherwise they're going to leave and all of that will be for nothing and you don't want that. Right. So that's a waste of your time. It's a waste of their time. Make sure that before you're, you know, I'm, I'm using air quotes, diversity hire. Um, that's, you know, that language is not great, but it's it's there. So think about how you can actually help support someone if you're hiring them on. First of all, don't hire someone as a token person to have just for that reason to hire them because of the skills that, that they can provide and what they can provide to the organization. But but make sure when you're bringing someone who's not part of like the homogenous group that probably already exists in the workplace, if you're thinking about this, think about what, you know, what else you can do to support them. So so this is just a quick start, but hopefully something you can think about if you are in the hiring process. Um, and if you have questions about hiring, about anything else, please send me an email. I'd love to hear from you. Um, or check out my website, uh, hillarybjones.com slash midriff. Yeah. So let's, let's, uh, let's close it up for today. Uh, that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. <laughs>